Glad you're here. It's good to see everybody tonight. I'm going to take a moment and pray, ask God's blessing, and then get started with our Bible study. Father, we thank you for uh, your presence. We thank you, God, for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that uh, you said that you would teach us, and so we call on you tonight to teach us. We ask that you would uh, apply your word to our lives in such a way that we could see some change and some challenge. Uh, those that have come in need of comfort would receive comfort. Those that have come in need of healing would receive healing. Those that have come in need of understanding you more or seeing you more or being closer to you would find those things in you tonight. We just ask that you would apply your word to our place and our point of need tonight. So uh, you know us, you know our hearts, you know our lives, and we just pray, God, that you'd have your way. So lead us guide us. We pray that you be glorified uh, through what happens here tonight. And we ask God that you would speak and we'd have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Uh, so have your way. We give you thanks and praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. Dot com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study or maybe you have a comment or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Acts chapter 19. If you need a Bible, they're located on the tables. You can feel free to use a hard copy or whatever you use on your phone. But they are available if you'd like to use one. Acts chapter 19, I need a volunteer to read verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. All right. I first became aware of this verse. Uh, I know I've read it. I had read it before and all that, but it was a point of discussion one time when I was uh, down in Salisbury, Maryland. I had uh, agreed to go down there and speak at a campus ministry at Salisbury State University in Salisbury, Maryland. It's uh, right near Ocean City, Maryland. A guy that I'd met at a conference had contacted me and asked me if I'd come on down and speak. And so I went down there and I kept mistakenly saying Salisbury Steak instead of Salisbury State. But that was my bad. That's a true story, though. And, uh, <clears throat> and so 
I was down there and we just we had a great time. Uh, the guy ended up actually coming up here to Syracuse and running our ministry here at Syracuse University while I was planning planting a group at Cornell. And uh, so we, we hit it off right away and we're talking. And he brought this verse up and it was kind of a joke because uh, he had said something to me. He's like, yeah, I have feelings sometimes at our meetings. And he had some awesome meetings. Uh, he said, I have feelings sometimes people don't even know why they're here. Uh, talking about you know some of the students that were coming out to his group meeting, and he pointed to this verse, and, and and you read the verse, you see what it says that some were shouting one thing, some was another, but most of them didn't even know why they were there, and uh, he always, he took that kind of as a theme, and it, and this is humorous theme as to <clears throat> the way that he saw some of his meetings, um, and he would do things in his meetings like he he was very creative. Super creative as far as having um, like different skits or uh, or parody songs or whatever, and it was always a fun time. And so he that's the way that he ran his meetings at Salisbury State. Anyway, so I, ever since then, anytime I read this verse, I always think of that guy. Uh, and the, what this is describing, if you know the story here in Acts 19, uh, there there were issues that were going on. Uh, in Ephesus, and there had been uh, a number of people that had decided that they were going to follow after Jesus. And so in following after Jesus, they were uh, leaving behind some of the old ways and some of the old ways of worship. And so there was a silversmith in town that made idols. And uh, this was a place that they had a temple to the goddess Diana. And so they made idols uh, as such and sold them, and this was the way that he made his money. And he wasn't the only one that made his money that way. And so the temple was something that drew people in, that drew people from all over the place to come and to worship there. And also, uh, it was a form of income for them that they were able to sell these idols and whatever other stuff that they would sell at at this temple. And so they were upset because the gospel was being preached, and they could see that their income may be in jeopardy. That was the problem. And so they basically started a riot. They got a bunch of people together and said, this isn't right. And these guys are trying to ruin our business. And these guys are denouncing the great goddess. And they're doing all these things. They're trying to close down the temple. And so they were explaining all this. And and people were getting upset. And they kind of whipped the crowd into a frenzy. And so there was a theater or whatever this place was that they all gathered. And they were chanting. And, and they, were, they were yelling one thing, yelling another, according to this verse. And you can read the verses above that, and you can read the verses after it. And it just it was like a riot was forming. And so basically it was exactly what it says. Some of the people that were there were shouting one thing. Some of the people there were shouting another. But most of the people that had showed up to this didn't even know why they were there. And I would have to dare say most mob scenes are that way. That you got a few people that know why they're there, and then a bunch of people don't know why they're there, but they're just joining in for whatever reason. Because they want to throw bricks, and they want to yell, or they want to do whatever they want to do. And so that was the case here. People didn't even know why they were there. They were all shouting something, whatever they were shouting. They were all upset about something, but did they know what they were upset about? Not really. They were just basically a mob. That's what you see here. Just a mob scene. So... This account in Acts 19, 
was likely uh, written by or at least given to Luke by an eyewitness to what happened here. Because there's enough detail in it that would indicate that this just wasn't a story that someone had heard about, but this was something that was actually an eyewitness account. And so it was a word-for-word eyewitness account of what had happened there. And also of note in this, the word that's used in the, in the passage for assembly, and there's a word there used for assembly, is the word ecclesia, which is the same word that's used for the church in the New Testament. This wasn't a church. This was a mob. All right. I'm not saying this was a church. I just found it interesting that the descriptor word that's used for this scene that you're, you're hearing about, this, this riot of what's happening, this gathering of people, is the same word that's used for the, for the church in reference to the church in other places in the New Testament. So that's just something to think about. Because I have been in a few churches that seem more like a mob than seem like you know, a nice gathering of Christians. And I've been in places where there's a lot of confusion uh, that have been churches. I've been in a lot of places where people have been shouting one thing and some shouting another, and a lot of chaos going on. A part of my position when I was, this a long time ago, uh, I was fairly young to be doing this, but I was in a position where I ran a, a ministry, a statewide ministry for a, kind of a larger denomination, and because I ran a statewide ministry, I was on the list of people to go to churches and help run business meetings when churches would have disputes. I was the last choice. I wasn't the first choice. I was like the last guy they would call. But if they didn't have anybody else as a neutral party that could actually go in and run a business meeting, I was the guy that would end up going in to do that. And it only happened three or four times. But I'd end up in these churches that were having arguments about stuff. And I don't know if you know that churches have arguments about stuff sometimes. They just do. And so, you know, and it could be anything silly. You, you want to think of something silly for a church to argue about. Like they're going to get new carpeting. So you think, all right, so that, that should be good, right? You're going to get some new carpeting? Well, what color should it be? Well, you got whoever, you got on this side with the blue side, and you got this guy on the other side, the red side, and you got these people kind of the dissidents on the green side, all right? So they all want different color carpeting, and they all got their say, but they can't agree on anything. And so they have a special business meeting called, and you can't, God knows you can't have the pastor run it because he might be on the blue side or, or whoever, whatever he is. So you need to get somebody neutral in there and who doesn't care, like me. I'm the perfect person that doesn't care what color the carpet is, all right? And so bring me in, and I'm going to run this meeting. Well, half the time, these meetings sounded like Acts 19.32. Because you get people all upset and all mad about something. And I know it seems ridiculous. Okay, I'm talking about carpet color. All right, right, it does seem ridiculous. Because it is ridiculous. And yet, that would be a source of disagreement. And not only disagreement, but passionate disagreement, loud disagreement, people at each other's throats disagreement. And I, I never, I guess I was never amazed after a certain amount of time. It just didn't shock me anymore what people could argue about. I sat on the board of a church for a number of years, probably eight, nine years, and just stuff we argued about just was amazing. Uh, like, who cares? And when I say we, I say we because I was on the board, not that I was arguing about anything because I just didn't care. 
but I was there. And, and so I would just watch it. And then at these meetings, I would be there and I'd watch it and try to bring some kind of order to it. But it seems like it, no matter where you go, ecclesia is a great word because it just means assembly. What does assembly mean? It means it's a place where people gather. And, and people, when they get together, and I hope you can understand what I'm going to say right now, people, when they get together, do people kind of things, whether they're Christians or they're not. And, and so people do people things, and, and so they get upset about things, or they get angry about things, or they, they argue about things. And, and whether or not they're Christians, it, it didn't seem to matter. It hasn't seemed to matter in most of these cases I'm describing to you because they just argued about the silliest of stuff. Well, and I know outsiders, they look at that and say, well, Christians shouldn't do that. Well, none of us should do that. Whether we're Christians or not. I mean, is it appropriate for grown people, grown people to argue about silly stuff? Can we, can we say that? Is that appropriate? I don't think so. I think grown people, adults, should be able to sell their differences and be able to kind of come to conclusions with themselves and just say, all right, well, let's, let's uh, work this out, right? As two adults or three adults or four adults, let's kind of work this out and figure it out. I mean, that's the adult kind of thing to do, but that's not what people do all the time, Christian or not. And, and so I, I want to just, just make it even a bigger issue. Is like, it's not so much to me a Christian issue as it is a maturity issue. It's not so much to me a Christian issue. It is just a, an issue among people that are, have some self-discipline or have some kind of understanding or ability to communicate with one another people that are responsible, people that have a little bit of experience under their belt that are a little bit more mature. Because to me, that, that's a bigger issue, is that we need to be able to, in a civil society, discuss things. These people didn't want to discuss anything. They were upset because their livelihood was being threatened, as I said before. And I guess if you want to get people mad, you start messing with their money, right? That's how you get them mad? So they're messing with their money. Anyway, they saw it. And so they were upset about it. And they wanted to put an end to it. All right, so this was a mob. Everybody was shouting. That means all the people. Everybody's all-inclusive word. Everybody was shouting. So everybody was going at it. And literally, the verb that's used there means that they kept on shouting. In other words, this was an ongoing thing. And this was going on for hours. Hours. I lose my voice after minutes of shouting. Like if I go to a football game or I go to somewhere where I'm yelling, I'll lose my voice after just a very small amount of time. These people were going for hours. They were shouting about this thing. They were shouting about the gospel being preached and Diana being threatened and they were shouting about their silversmith business being threatened and they were shouting about why these guys were wrong and bad and all these other things and so they were shouting whether or not you want to see it as whatever it is. But I'm going to give you a little a rule here. You ready? A good rule. Now by rule that means everybody hates rules but here's a good rule. In both public and private things to not be hasty and rash. That's just a good rule of life. Don't be hasty. Don't be rash. 
but consider what's going on. Think about it. And keep your emotions in check. Now, am I saying we shouldn't be emotional? No, we should be emotional. Emotion is part of who we are. But we need to keep our emotions in check. Because if you think about what emotions do, if you just let emotions run wild, you do stuff that you probably wouldn't do normally if your emotions are all crazy. And it doesn't matter what kind of emotion that is. I mean, you can think about anger. If your emotions are just running wild and you're angry and stuff, you're going to say and do things you wouldn't normally do. Or let's make it a good one. Let's say you're in love. All right, so you got this love, emotion, flooding. You're probably going to say and do things you wouldn't normally do. And that's just kind of the way it is. And, and, and so for being led around by emotions, whether you think of them as positive or you think of them as negative, however you see emotion, whatever that emotion happens to be, then you're probably going to say and you're probably going to do things you wouldn't normally do. So a good rule of thumb is to, is to live in such a way that we can keep our emotions in check, that we live in consideration of what's going on around us, and we're not hasty and rash. And a lot of times if you're not hasty to make a decision, you're not hasty to do something, it allows time for your emotions to cool off. Whether it's anger, like I said, or love, or whatever you want to think of your emotion as, but to let that settle so you can make a better decision. And you can speak to somebody in a better way. All right, so that's that's my the end of my practical thing I wanted to say tonight. But people have an appetite for the disorderly. Why? All right, think about that. Why would I even say that? People have an appetite for the disorderly. And by disorderly, I mean lacking guidance or lacking, maybe this will help you, lacking self-restraint or lacking discipline or lacking order. All right, do you, do you kind of understand what I'm saying about the appetite for the disorderly? Because when I say it like that, you think, oh, I don't feel that way. Well, maybe not you. I don't know. But a lot of people do have an appetite for the disorderly because they don't really like discipline. They just want to do what they want to do. They just want to say what they want to say when they want to say it. They don't, they don't really have an appetite to live a self-disciplined life or, or self-restraint. They just, again, they just want to do what they want to do. That is the appetite for the, disor- for the disorderly. It's just that whole spirit about us that, well, I just want to do what I want to do. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Well, life isn't really like that. And the older you get, you kind of figure that out. You have a couple kids, you figure it out. All right, that once you, when you, when you're dealing with children, you can't always do what you want to do when you want to do it. Because sometimes they're going to puke and you got to take care of that. Or sometimes they're going to, not going to eat and you got to take care of that. Or sometimes they're not going to sleep at night and you're going to be up too because you got to take care of that. Or whatever's going to happen. And kids are awesome for that because they, they, they don't care. All right, they're just going about doing whatever kids do. It's your job to take care of them. And so you get a little taste of this if you have like a puppy or something, right? You know, those of you that have dogs, I mean, a lot of you don't have kids, but if you have a dog or something, you kind of get a little taste for this because you, you get out, you got to take that dog out. Even when you come home at night and you're tired, if you don't take that dog out, what's going to happen? Dog's going to do what a dog does, all right? And so then you got to deal with that. And so you might not feel like it, but you got to do it. And so there's a certain order to things that needs to happen. 
And when we have other things depending on us, children, dogs, animals, whatever it is, when we have other things depending on us, we find ourselves in a position where there needs to be a certain amount of order over our lives. There just needs to be. And, and that's what needs to happen. That dog needs to go out in the morning. That dog needs to go out in the evening. We may even have to come home during our lunch hour and take that dog out when he's young because he's not going to make it till we get home. That's a possibility. And so there is a certain order that we apply to our lives in order to go about whatever it is that we have to take care of. But human nature in some ways fights against that. And depending on how you grew up and depending on what you find comfortable or what you think is your comfort level, you may enjoy, for whatever reasons, you may have an appetite for the disorderly because you just don't like anybody telling you what to do. Because you just want to do what you want to do. And so I'm going to leave that with you to think about. Because we got a whole mob of people here. Now, these people heard the noise, most of them. They weren't part of the original protest. They weren't part of the original issue that was going on. They heard the noise, or they heard about, oh, there's a big commotion going on over at the theater. You want to go check it out? Yeah. Why? Because we got an appetite for the disorderly. I mean, I was just driving down the road today. I was trying to get up Genesee Street, and there's an accident up Genesee Street, right? So cars stopped turning off whatever. So I had to go around the block, come at it from the other side to get to where I was going. But I was shocked by the number of people standing in the road watching whatever was going on in the middle of the road. We love that. And so, in you know, bored? Okay. These people were bored living in Ephesus. I don't know what happens in Ephesus, but this was big doings. There was a big like riot thing going on in the theater. Who wants to go see that? Everybody. And so they went on over there. And that's exactly what happened. So they, they had some kind of, a, like I said, like an appetite for that. And there was really no agreement going on there, was there? Some were shouting one thing, some were shouting another. Even the people that were upset weren't upset about the same thing. They were upset about this thing, and that, these people were upset about something else. Because they were shouting this, they were shouting that. They were upset about this, they were upset about that. Well, that's the nature of a mob. That, that, that's what it is. And only a small portion of the people there even knew the reason why they were there. Now, why do you think there were multiple stories going on here? I mean, if you think about it. Why, why do we have four Gospels in the Bible? Anybody know? Yeah, you got different perspectives. If you put four people on four street corners and there's an accident in the middle of that intersection and you and you didn't let them talk to each other, but you interviewed each one of them, each one of them would have a different story, at least slightly, because that's just the nature of it. Because one of them saw one thing, one of them saw another. They all saw the same thing. But you got a, this perspective, you got that perspective, you got the north perspective, the south perspective, the east and west perspective. And so they're going to share whatever it is they saw. And probably, if you could interview all four of them and get their perspectives, you could probably get a pretty good idea of what actually happened on that corner. Probably. And, and that's one of the reasons, I believe, that we have the Gospels. 
And, and people, in, as far as I'm concerned, they waste their time trying to reconcile them. There's nothing to reconcile. You have different perspectives, different writers, different times when they were written. You have all these things going on. They're all about the same guy. They're all about the same message. They're all about the same stuff that happened, but you got different perspectives going on all at the same time. Maybe one guy saw something the other guy didn't see. Maybe the other guy saw something that guy didn't see. I have no idea. But you read all four of them, you get a better view of what actually happened a better understanding, a fuller understanding of what actually happened than you would if you only read one. And so you, you get a, a more robust understanding through reading four than you do one. And to me, that's an advantage. I'm not trying to reconcile them. I don't need to reconcile them. I don't have to reconcile your perspective to mine. If you're watching the same thing I'm watching, and I'm saying this is what I saw, and you tell me what you saw, maybe I could learn something from what you saw. You follow me? I don't need to reconcile. I don't need to make you believe or make you say you saw what I saw. That's not important. It's not important for me to somehow force you into my perspective. You got your perspective. Tell me what it is. I want to hear it. I'll give you my perspective. This is the way I saw it. That's the way you saw it. Interesting. All right. What can you learn from that? How can you grow from that? What can we discern from that? And so you have these multiple stories here. Point of view. All right. That, that's important. Opinion is important. This is the reason we're here. Well, that might be the reason that person's there. And then the person said, well, that's the reason we're here. And that might be the reason that person's there. I have no idea why they were there. And apparently even the Christians were kind of unsure about what was going on with this whole thing because they weren't sure even if they were supposed to bring Paul over there or to keep him out of there or to try to figure out who was supposed to be there or what's supposed to be going on. I mean, one of the guys that was there was a guy by the name of Alexander. He was the one they dragged over there to start with. But what was happening with him and what did the rest of this scene have to do with him? Nobody knew because it all took on a life of its own. And so different people, different jobs, different sentiments, and there was no form of order over it. And so they all saw what they saw. They all heard what they heard. They all did what they did. And that's the nature of disorder. Now, the Bible, interestingly, talks about order. Specifically, uh, Paul, when he's writing about the, the way that church works, he was writing to the Corinthians. And the Corinthian church, according to most accounts, had an issue with order in their church. Things were a little bit wild. And uh, I'm going to say this. I got a little bias here. You can hear me or not, but a little bit wild is better than a whole lot dead, okay? At least my perspective. I'll take a little bit wild over a whole lot dead, because uh, at least if it's wild, it's alive, and it can be fixed, and that's exactly what Paul was doing. He wasn't telling them to get dead. He was trying to bring some order to whatever was going on in the church. Everybody get, wants to pick on the Corinthian church because they were getting corrected. 
Well, they were getting corrected because they were actually doing something. They were getting corrected because they were actually responding to the Holy Spirit. And there was other stuff going on there that really did need to get corrected. It was getting corrected, and it had to be corrected, and that's all right. But they were alive, and they were reaching their community, and they were doing the stuff that people are supposed to do. But they were people gathered, and what I say about people, what do they do? People kind of stuff. And so that needed to be corrected because they were doing stuff they shouldn't have been doing. And so we give that moment and we say, all right, you got to correct that, we'll correct it. You need to fix that, we'll fix it. That's right. But we're not going to stop the move of the Spirit to do that. We're not going to stop what God's doing through you to do that. We're going to say, all right, well, let's fix that, let's fix that, and let's fix that. And you see, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you see that happening. Paul is fixing stuff as he goes. And toward, as you get toward the end of the book, he begins to describe orderly worship. He wanted to kind of bring some order onto their worship. He wasn't telling them not to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He was defining the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't telling them not to allow for God to move in their midst. He was defining what that looks like and, and how to go about it. And so that's what he did. And he gets down to the end of his explanations, and he gets down and he says, all right, this is for what I think you should be doing here. And he gives them all the instructions he's going to give them. He says, but let everything be done decently and in order. And I've heard people use that verse to shut down the Holy Spirit so many times. I'm here to tell you that's not what that verse is about. Because Paul just spent 14 chapters not shutting down the Holy Spirit before he said that. So, in fact, he had just said, I, I do some of these things. He's like, he was talking about, for instance, speaking in tongues. And Paul said, hey, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But let's, let's do this in such a way that people aren't confused. Or let's do this in such a way that it can be beneficial to the kingdom. Let's do this in such a way that we can see the, the power of God and the message of Christ being preached. Let's do this in such a way. And so, cool. We're going to fix that. But you, you can't skip over the fact Paul... It was said, and he said this before he even began to, to talk about the correction. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So speaking in tongues wasn't the issue. Speaking in tongues isn't the enemy. Speaking in tongues isn't the problem. The problem is the order in which they're doing it. And so you have to look at all of those things. And so all of that is being said. All of that is being described. All of that is, this, all right, so prophecy and all the different gifts are being mentioned there. And says, well, let's do it in decently and in order. That's not a hammer. That's not a hammer over the church. It's an explanation as to what those 14 chapters were saying. And so order becomes important. And I believe if we're going to be effective, you know, you kind of go up to what I said earlier, an appetite for the disorderly. An appetite for the disorderly needs to be curbed. Now, some of you like cookies. See, I don't like cookies. So uh, you don't have to tell me not to eat cookies. I don't really, I mean, I'll eat a cookie if somebody hands me a cookie. Like if Kim makes me a special cookie. And it's like, Andy, I made this special for you. I'm going to eat that cookie, all right, because I'm, I'm not going to say no. Somebody making a special cookie for me. But normally I don't really eat cookies, so I don't really like cookies. That's not my thing. So you don't, you don't have to stop me from doing that. 
Now, some of you, however, like cookies. Because I know you do, because I've seen you eat cookies. <laughs> and so maybe for you, there may be you know, a point of order over your diet that needs to take place. Like so, just something for you to, to think about. Like maybe I don't need this cookie right now. You know, a little self-discipline, right? I know you don't want to hear this because you've got an appetite. What's that? Yeah, yeah, the hard Because maybe, you know, that's self-discipline, right? But maybe you have an appetite, yeah, for disorder when it comes to cookies. Because you just want to eat your cookie. And maybe you're real good about not eating asparagus or something. And you feel really good about that. Like, I, just, I, don't, eat, I don't eat Brussels sprouts. I mean, you know, I'm watching my figure. But, but maybe cookies, though, are a point where you got some disorder going on. you got an appetite for that. And so you'd rather leave that one kind of open-ended. We'll have a few cookies. All right. Uh, well, I don't know what your cookie is. Okay. I'm using cookie as a... You fill in the blank. But we, we tend to, to move toward disorder in areas that we just like doing something. All right. And, I, and that's for you to figure out. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you about that, what that is in your life. Because you may go, uh, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't even want to mention anything. Somebody will think I'm picking on them. I know too much about you. <laughs> You'll think I'm picking on you. But uh, we need to tend toward order. Uh, and, and that appetite for disorder has to be curbed. In other words, we've got to look at that and, and say, oh, yeah, I don't really want to live that way at some point in our lives. That's maturity. It's a maturity, a spiritual maturity to stop and to allow for some self-discipline in our life where we need it. That is spiritual maturity. It's spiritual maturity to be able to say no, and to, to recognize that we're growing in Christ, to recognize that we're being discipled in Christ, to recognize that God has something for us to do. There's a call or there's vision that God's poured into our life, whatever that is. And as we're working toward that and as we're moving toward that or in that, that there's decisions that need to be made for the better that, that we just need to make. And so whatever that appetite is for disorder in our life, it would need to be addressed in specific areas because it's those specific areas where it matters. Because you can say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not really tempted toward whatever it is you're not tempted toward. Well, right. That's, me, that's like me saying, well, I don't have any problem with cookies. Well, I don't. But I got problems with other stuff. It ain't cookies. And so for me to major on something like, oh, well, and, and just keep telling you about it, I can hit you in the head with it. Well, I don't have a problem with cookies. And, and you might say to yourself, and you might be able to tell me, well, I don't have a problem with chicken wings. <laughs> I'm like, well, all right, if you want to be like that. <laughs> Got to bring up my chicken wings. Go ahead. I like a chicken wing here or there. All right, so, you know, I got my issues, right? And so whatever the goal is, I mean, whatever it is that God's doing, we come to a place where we need to address those kind of things. And, and I'm not picking on cookies and chicken wings. I'm just saying that they're representative of other things I don't want to talk about right now. 
And I think you can probably figure it out. Like, you know, I could say something like if I brought up a word like like gossip. You know, some people tend toward that. All right, well, and I'm not looking at anybody, but some people tend toward gossip. And so that needs to be addressed because that's something specifically that destroys and brings division in the body of Christ. We don't want to do that. Or, or maybe some of us tend toward, and, and there's all kinds of other things that we could tend toward. But we don't want to bring division. We don't want to hinder the work that God's doing. We don't want to hinder the work that God's doing in us or through us. And so we make kind of big boy, big girl decisions to address certain things that need to be addressed in our lives. We make those decisions. That's maturity. That's what takes us home during our lunch hour to let the dog out. It's growth and maturity. It's recognizing there's a bigger picture and there's something beyond me. Something beyond my want. Something beyond what I think I need to get. There's something bigger than that. And as Christians, we have something like that built in. We have Jesus in us who's bigger than all those things. And so if we can do that for a puppy, all right, we can do that for our child, we can do that for our spouse, we can do that for our best friend, all right, what is it that we're going to make some big boy and big girl decisions about for Jesus in our life? Things that he really has been pressing for us or he's been speaking to us or things that he's been kind of nudging us about that really need to change. Maybe not all at once, but at least start taking some steps to see some change in our lives. Nothing is perfect except for Jesus and his daddy and the Holy Spirit. That's it. And so we're in a process. And that process goes as quickly or as slowly as you're willing to allow it to go. And wherever those sticking points are, those are the places that need to be addressed. So you know what that is in your own life. And so they had this question in this assembly. Because it said most of them didn't even know why they were there. Which I think is awesome. Because uh, they were there because it was loud and they were told there was something going on there. And so they showed up. But why were they really there? Well, they were there because there was a silversmith that was upset with a Christian because he was afraid that his income was going to be compromised. So that's why they were there. But no, like most of them didn't know that. Most of them had no idea why they were there. Had no clue. They were ignorant to why they were there. There was a lot of noise, but did it have any meaning? And I want to address this just as quickly as I can. Uh, again, ecclesia, ecclesia, uh, the assembly. That's God bringing us together. Like I said, this was a mob, but what can we learn from the mob? Well, we can learn from the mob that there can be a whole lot of noise and still most of the people still don't know why they're there. They're ignorant to why they're there. And the joke, as I started off about Salisbury State, the joke was this, is 
that's us. That was his meeting or some church services or whatever it would be. And it's kind of a joke and it's kind of not a joke because we gather and we can make some noise, sometimes pretty noise, sometimes not so pretty noise. We can all get together and go through whatever it is we're going to go through and assemble and do the things that we're going to do. But do you know why you're there? Um, I, you know, I grew up, my grandfather was a pastor. And I got dragged to church um, every week, twice on Sunday and Wednesday. And I went to Sunday school I had the little, we had the little pins. When you got perfect attendance for a year, you got a pin. And then you had little things that hang off of it for five, one year, three years, five years, all that. I don't know if you ever had those. Yeah, we had those and all this stuff. Plus, they went through a building program when I was little. And so my grandfather, he'd go out every night for the building program. So I'd go with him for that. So I get dragged to church all the time. And there came a point, I don't know, I got probably eight, eight years old. We moved away, and my mom remarried, or, or she got married, and then moved to Georgia. So we moved away. And I didn't know why I went to church. I'm a kid, though. I mean, you know, maybe I couldn't figure it out. But I didn't know why, and then nobody was making me do it anymore. So guess what happened? I stopped going. I didn't have any reason. Like, I couldn't figure anything out. And so I didn't go to church for a really long time. In fact, I didn't follow after Jesus. I didn't do anything for a really long time, from the time I was about eight years old. And I got to college, and when I was in college, sophomore year of college, laying in bed, I, I encountered Jesus. And it was after I encountered Jesus that I had a reason. This is why I'm going. Why do I want to go to church? I want to go because of Jesus. That's why. Well, I want to worship. Why? Because of Jesus. I want to hear what the Bible has to say. Why? Because of Jesus. I want to know him. I want to grow in him. I want to have a relationship with him. I want to grow in that relationship with him. But I had a reason. We need a reason. We need to know why we're here. And, and so that reason is the overriding principle of what draws us, or it should be. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. I want to worship him. I want to be closer to him. I want to, be, I want to hear what he has to say to me. I want to, I want to grow in my love for him. I want to grow in his love for me. I want to experience more of that love in my life. You know, when we start our services, what do we do? How, anybody know how we start our services? What do we say? What's the prayer, though? Yeah, prayer. What, how, but what, what do I, we ask from you? That you uh, just respond what you want to see him do today. Yeah. We want to set an expectation. In other words, we want to give you, give you an opportunity to set an expectation about why you're here, right? Because it's important to know why you're here. 
to have some expectation of God to do something, anything. You can say whatever you want during that time. All right? You can say, I want to know more about your love. I want to hear you more. I want to hear more. I want to feel more of your love in my life. I want to love you more. I want to worship you. I want to know what it is to, to be in your presence. I want you to show up. I want to see you today, God. Whatever, whatever. you can pray anything you want. But set something. Get an idea. It's like, all right, well, why am I here? I want to see more of God today. Why am I here? I want to hear from God. Why am I here? I want to grow in God. Why am I here? I want to be healed. I want to be healed today. That's why I'm here. Whatever it is, whatever it is, if you don't know, if you can't figure anything out, read the Bible. There's plenty of reasons why people show up to assemble together. The Bible then gives you reasons. You don't even have to make anything up. You know, I'm going to bring the sacrifice of praise today. All right, good. That's a good Bible thing. I'll rejoice and be glad in today because it's the day that God has made. God said that. All right, I'll do that. But at least know something. Have something. Think of something. Some reason why we are here. Otherwise, you're like this mob. What's this mob? Senseless zealots. Zealots for what? I don't know. Disorder? Senseless. Why? They can't even agree on what they're yelling about. They can't even agree on what they're mad about or what they're happy about or why they gathered or why they were even there. Is that mob ever going to accomplish anything? No. No. Never going to do anything. Never going to accomplish everything. Never going to make anything happen. Why? Because they can't even agree why they're there. They have no reason for being. They're just loud. And they're angry. Or whatever the case may be. Nothing's going to come out of that. At least nothing good. Nothing good is going to come out of a mob. Just noise. Just noise. People often, when they gather, give no account of the design of what they're doing. Why am I worshiping? Why am I lifting my hands? Why am I praising in between songs? Why am I sharing something good that God has done? Why am I listening to people share something good that God has done? Why am I praying? And you can say, oh, that's obvious, but it's not. There's a specific design of what we're doing that you need to be mindful of as to, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm doing. This is a time where people are sharing things that God's done in their life. What are you supposed to receive out of that? Well, number one, you can rejoice with them that God did something awesome in their life. What's another thing you can receive out of that? Maybe an encouragement for that area in your life. Maybe you're struggling with something that's really similar to that. And if you're paying attention, you hear them say, well, this is what God did, or this is how God answered, or this is how God did this thing in my life. Well, not only can you rejoice with them, you have hope and maybe a mustard seed of faith to believe that God will do that in your life too. Well, there's a design to that. There is a design to, to pause in between songs so that you can worship. 
Yeah, you. So you can make something up. That's the whole reason for the pause. Make something up, think of something, and worship yourself. Like, not worship yourself, but you worship God in a way that is, is unique to you right then. Get it? I, I misspoke that, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. Is I want to give you an opportunity. Yeah, we'll sing songs and we'll get to where we're going to go, but then there's a pause. That's for you. That's for you to express yourself. That's for you to say something unique, maybe. Or, or to just let God know what your heart is. Or just, just let God know where you're at. Maybe to take a moment and receive something that God wants to do. But that's your moment. Right? And you can do that during the songs, after the songs, whatever. But specific design that is designed in that uncomfortable pause is designed in so that you can respond. You. Yeah. So that you can praise. So you can try something new. So you can maybe step out of worrying about what everybody's thinking of you, which no one's even watching you, but you think they are. And, and you lift your hand or you do whatever it is that you're going to do or you kneel or you whatever it is. All right. I don't know. But that's your moment. All right. It's built in and you can take that moment anytime you want. But that's the built in time right there. That's the design. Be mindful. Be mindful at the end or be mindful when when, uh, you know, it's time to respond. Be mindful when. Decisions need to be made. Be mindful when, when you need to respond to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. Be mindful when you, there needs to be some type of a, a response, maybe even a physical response to what God is doing. Be mindful of that. Because the assembly, the assembly, us together is important. Us experiencing God together is important. And us experiencing God together as individuals is important. I'm not a really big we singer. Right? By that I mean there's a lot of songs that have we in it. Because really what it comes down to it's you and him. That you're going to bring the sacrifice of praise. We can say we, but you need to bring it. You know, I lift my hands up. Yeah, we can lift our hands up, but you need to bring that. I will praise you. Well, we can say we'll praise you, but you got to bring your own praise. And if you're following what I'm saying, it's like, yeah, we're together, but you've got to respond. You know, and I could be talking about church. I could be talking about kinships. I could be talking about anything. The design is something to be mindful of so that we don't miss what it is God's doing. Well, I don't want to be mindful. Well, yeah, because we have a tendency toward and an appetite for disorder. Right. I get it. But the order is, and the mature thing is, and the growing in Jesus thing is, is that we are mindful. And that we're allowing for and responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. We're mindful of what God is doing. So as we look at this passage, 
And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this. These people uh, even followed Paul to the next city. They were so upset. Like what happened after this? They, they were all yelling one thing, another. It was all crazy, mob scene, turned into a riot. Uh, a city official stood up. And he just said, hey, you guys need to break this up or the Roman authorities are going to hear about it and they're going to come and they're going to make things really bad for us and we're on the verge of having a riot here. So uh, take this to court if you want to take it to court. Do what you need to do if you need to do it, but everybody go home, bye. And they all left. Because most of them really didn't have a passion why they were there anyway and they didn't really understand what they were doing there. And when that guy stood up and said, hey, we're going to all get in trouble if you keep doing this, they're like, yeah, I don't want to get in trouble and they just left. But there were certain zealots of those that started it that even followed Paul to the next city. Still following him around. Trying to make life hard for him. And so they were just going to do whatever they were going to do. But as you look at this scene, I just want to apply this, the assembly. This assembly, I want to learn something from that. What I want to learn from that is that we need to know why we're here. Let's live in that. Let's live in that. And like I said, what's my perspective on why I'm here? It may be different than yours. Okay? That's all right. That's why at the beginning of service, I might say, God, I want to be healed because that's why I'm here. And you might say, Jesus, I want to know you more because that's why you're there. Does that make you more spiritual than me? Are you better? Are you the better you can judge me, right, then? Because I just want healing and you want to know Jesus more. So so I'm, I'm not as good as you are. All right, that's all right. Maybe, maybe uh, next week I'll want to know Jesus more. I don't know. Give me a chance. And so you kind of you kind of get the understanding, and that's why I went through all of the different things at the beginning of this, perspectives, backgrounds, uh, jobs, whatever it is people were coming out of. They had different ways of seeing things. They were saying things that were different than the other person and all that. I don't need to make you see it. I don't need, you don't need, all right, at the beginning, you don't need to have to come here for healing, all right? That doesn't have to be your reason for being here. That's my reason for being here. I don't feel the need to convince you that you need to be here for healing. If you're here to know Jesus more, you're good, all right? But you don't need to convince me that I'm here to know Jesus more, all right? That's your thing. I'm here for my thing. And we're here for our thing in the sense that we've gathered in the name of Jesus and he's ministering to us as individuals. Can we do that? Can we hear a word of good order over our hearts and over our lives? Can we hear a word of some good self-discipline? Can we hear a word of maybe some awareness about what Jesus is doing? Because I think that's mainly what he's saying tonight. I want to know why I'm here. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I thank you that uh, you gather. When we gather, you're here. You gather with us. 
Bible says where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, uh, you're here right in our midst. And so even tonight, we've gathered in the name of Jesus and you're here. We gather at our kinships and you're there. We gather on a Sunday, you're here. We gather on a Friday night, you're in the midst of us. And so I give you thanks for that. And I give you thanks that you know each of us, you care about each of us, you know details of our lives, number of hairs that we have on our head, you know details, 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 the minute details of our lives, you know. And you are more than able to minister to us at our points of need. And so Jesus, I, I pray that when we gather in the name of Jesus, that we come knowing why we're there. That we come expecting you and expecting your move and expecting your answer, expecting you, God, to touch us, expecting you, God, to minister, expecting you, God, to reach out and to bring healing, wholeness, to expecting you, God, to reveal yourself, expecting you, God, to do whatever it is that we've come and gathered to receive. And so if we come here and we want to know you more, we expect you to show yourself and then we're going to know you more. We come and we, we ask you and we want to be comforted. We pray, God, and we believe for the Holy Spirit to comfort us. We, we've come here and we want to see the power of God. Well, then we believe for the power of God to be made manifest. And if that starts with me, that starts with me, but that's why I'm here. Healing, I'm here to be healed. Then pour out your healing virtue, Jesus. We're going to have an expectation for that healing power to be poured into our lives. So, God, I just pray simply that as you are in our midst, that we'd have an expectation of what that means that you're in our midst. That it wouldn't just be a bunch of words. And it wouldn't just be a cliche. But literally we would understand your presence now. Here and now. And we'd have an expectation of all that your presence brings. So Father, tonight I ask that you would help us to order our lives, uh, and, and I pray that we would curb that appetite for disorder, uh, whatever that means in our lives, that, that we would address that, and we wouldn't allow that to run amok, but we would address that appetite that's in us and begin to speak discipline, self-discipline, order, authority, we would allow our lives and watch our lives come into line. And so I pray a work of maturity, work of maturity and growth in each of us. In Jesus' name. Give you thanks, Lord. God, I pray you speak to hearts. Just an area, one area. You, you, you want to change. You want to see change in, in us, in me. Just speak to hearts.
Absolutely. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we receive of you. If we heard you, we heard you. If we didn't hear you, I pray, God, you continue to speak until we do hear you. We got tonight, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your presence. I ask God that we'd be more purposed as we gather. To your glory and honor. If we ask it in Jesus' name, let's be by saying amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thanks for coming tonight. We'll see you again. UCF and Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool. You mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.